Magandang araw, podmates. Howie Severino muli na nagpapaalala na nakakatalino ang mahabang attention span. Ang guest natin ngayon ay naging artista ng sampung taon sa musical theater sa UK at sa Germany at sa iba pang bansa. She starred in Miss Saigon, Rent, and Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. After her theater career ended, she moved back to the Philippines and became a writer. She got married and started a family. Last year, she lost her husband suddenly, and she has been writing about that loss with a lot of honest reflection and eloquence. Lisa Romero de Guia, magandang araw sa'yo, and welcome to my podcast. Magandang hapon, Howie, and good afternoon to everyone listening. Lisa, thank you for joining us. No? But before we start, I just want to disclose and share with our listeners and viewers uh, about a personal connection because I, I knew your late husband, Kid Latigia, since he was a child, no? as I've been a longtime friend of his father, uh, the filmmaker Kid Latahimik, uh, who's also a national artist. So uh, we were all shocked and very sad by his passing. Uh, the both of you have two young children, Kalinao, who is 10, and Amihan or Mimi, who is 8. You're a writer and Part of your response to loss was writing about grief and how you've been handling it. And many are reading you as a master class of sorts in how to deal with grief. Sabi mo sa isang essay mo, nobody teaches us how to deal with loss and grief. For years, uh, you've been doing yoga. Uh, I know I know these things uh, because of your writing. No? Uh, you've also been teaching others how to handle trauma after disasters. Uh, you meditate and you've taken classes on how to process emotions, how to process grief. No, So you developed certain uncommon skills. So my first question is, do you think you were more prepared than most to handle loss? Yes, I think I definitely was. Um, what I joke with other people is that Kidlat couldn't have died at a better time <laughs> because I was actually in a really good space. Uh, vibrationally speaking, in my my whole life, I've been um, devoting myself towards practices that that soothe the highly anxious child inside. I was brought up to be a perfectionist, and nothing gets more perfectionist than musical theater, right? <laughs> like that's that is a an industry where you are not allowed to make mistakes, and it's very public, right? But when my son, Kalina, was born in uh, 2013, I got interested in energy healing because I was introduced, I, I received healing. And so right before the pandemic hit, I had certifications in theta healing, in neuro-linguistic programming. And then during the pandemic, I uh, actually studied the self-love solution program. So I was learning uh, self-love and how to teach self-love to my clients. And so I was really practicing what I preached. And it's so funny because, yeah, I'm a very intuitive person ever since I was a little girl. As a Virgo, normally when it's New Year, I usually have this practice where I, I, I reflect and then I try to do a year forecast for myself. Parang goal setting, diba? But that year... Uh, new year going into 2022, my inner guidance said not to do it. My inner guidance said, just go inside, just be calm, just nurture yourself, and don't make any plans. Just allow 
what feels natural to flow. And so it was very puzzling. It was so, you know, not me. But I decided to listen and I, I was doing a lot of gardening. I was nesting. I was taking care of my kids. But because I was doing a lot of self-care practices like meditation and mindful movement and uh, create being creative, uh, drawing, painting and all that, my vibration was so high. Like I was at an optimal level. And so when the shock of Kidlat's death came into our lives, suddenly I had this straight strength. I seemed to have this soul strength and I can only attribute that to to that self-care, that self-love routine that I had built up. Actually, one of the things that stood out for me um, about what you wrote about Kidlat was that what gave him the most joy was actually making others happy. And sabi mo, that was kind of, um, in a way, your polar opposite. Kasi sabi mo, you're early in your career, you were really about achieving about perfection on the, on the stage and you know being able to make it in, in this arena. Right? And then, Shanaman, he was just really about making people people happy. And I think it's, it's around, he, he must be a really evolved soul. You know, because that was a huge lesson for me. It was the most painful lesson. But I feel like I'm a better person because it happened. It, it's There's this line in the Tears for Fear song that says, nothing ever changes until unless there's some pain. So, yeah, maybe some of us tigas ulo. We think we know everything and then, bam, you know, like, you suffer a loss like that and life just brings you down to your knees. And not giving when people uh, experience loss and it's and like you said, it's not even death. Sometimes it's a loss of a relationship or a job or a home or whatever. And, you know, and they ask me, how do you cope with grief? And I'm like, I don't. I don't cope. I just allow. It makes you question what you know in a good way. In a good way, and um, and I feel like that is the gift. That's why you shouldn't avoid pain. That's why you shouldn't avoid grief. You shouldn't dissociate from your feelings. You should allow the crucible of that pain, you know, that that experience to to shape you, to change you. Well, you know, Christmas is coming up. Uh, this is already the holiday season, no? Um, and of course, the great expectation is we're all going to be happy. Uh, and sometimes, I think for some people going through loss, uh, and especially we went through a pandemic, many people um, you know, lost, lost loved ones, friends. What can you share with, with people uh, now that you know, we're in the middle of the holiday season already about how they should feel at a time when you know, everyone's greeting each other? May you have a Merry Christmas you know, and a Happy New Year and celebrations and parties and and you know some people just aren't up to it right? totally what can you share uh with with people is it a kind of loneliness that they should just embrace or or, or they should be with other people who will feel make them feel less sad or happier actually i i took a workshop on on grieving a week before kidlet died because a month before kidlet died one of my best friends uh, Tata Mapa passed away suddenly as well. So I learned so much from that workshop. And um, one of the things that really helped me and also helps me deal with other grieving people is never assume 
that you know what the other person is feeling. And that also goes for yourself. Don't assume, don't buy into that expectation of, oh, she must be, fee- uh, but, you know, like, oh, I should feel sad because I'm a widow. Like, I don't even relate to the word widow, to tell you the truth. So how does that translate? Like how you treat other grieving people. You don't like go like, hey, how are you? And then you do the help, head tilt. You know, the, I try to avoid doing that because that happens to me. Like I could be having a perfectly happy day and then somebody that I haven't seen in a long time, they'll be like, Oh, Lisa, how are you? Don't go like that. Which automatically will, it's like it breaks my my vibe. Like I wasn't naman feeling sad at that moment. And then all of a sudden they they do that head tilt. So, so that's one thing I learned. It's like never assume that just because somebody just lost someone that you know exactly what they're feeling in that moment. So one thing um, I learned in this grief period that I would uh, also recommend to other people who are grieving is learn to take it moment by moment. You know, you take it moment by moment and then you will notice that you're not naman sad every moment. Eh. You aren't. There will be moments of joy. A huge word for me in the last two years has been allow. Just allow yourself to be who you are from moment to moment. And um, when it comes to people uh, dealing with uh, friends who've just lost someone, and you know, that's a problem with, I don't know if you noticed that also, like December, November, December, it feels like har- it's what they call harvest season. Diba? Parang andaming humahabol and that we, we lose a lot of people during this season. And um, it's good to acknowledge the season, but to also acknowledge that someone may be going through something. So instead of saying happy birthday or happy or or happy, uh, merry christmas you could say you could send a private message and say hey um thinking of you during this time you know parang you're you're acknowledging that i know you're going through something i'm sending you good energy i'm thinking of you during this time hindi yung bigla ang oy happy anniversary when you're you've lost a spouse but you could say Hey, I'm thinking about you. So there are ways to show how you feel, that you feel for the other person. You're also acknowledging the season, but also not in this inauthentic, ha-ha, forced gaiety way. It's a common situation. You suddenly see this friend who you know lost a loved one, maybe not very recently, but maybe in the last year, but you hadn't really seen each other for a long time. So I know that, I'm going, no? For me, also, it's, it's an awkward situation no kasi hindi ba hindi ka nakapunta dun sa burol so you never really had a chance to offer your condolences or sympathies pero parang that was like several months ago diba i mean well, eh, eh. should you should you uh, interact with this person as if nothing happened or or it's not diba <laughs> or, or 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 offer some kind of comforting words pero sabi mo nga baka masira yung mood ng tao na he or she may be in the middle of a happy experience and then all of a sudden parang you know you tilt that that head again and then biglang magpabago yung mood yeah i think it's it's best to be authentic you know ikaw na magtansya kung gaano kaka-close sa yun i really suggest to people be authentic be real kung if you're not that super close then don't do the whole nakikiramay bit, you know. Some of the best 
uh, uh, greetings I got during the time were, you know what, Lisa, there are no words. Can I give you a hug? You know, and this is even though Omicron was going on. Oh my God, I hugged so many people. <laughs> and, but I didn't, naman, I didn't get sick. <laughs> but for me, that was the most genuine. And that felt so, so good. But I, like I said, it's, you know, some people don't like hugging. So, you know, bahala ka na magtimpla. And then, um, it's okay to say that you're sorry. I think what I would move away from, what I would suggest people to move away from is uh, trying to uh, give words of wisdom. <laughs> That's really annoying. I mean, maybe two years down the road, yeah, sure. But when it just happened, like, please don't say, kailangan na kasi ni Lord. Or... Um, ano bitwa sinasabi ng mga tao or, kasi his mission here is done and I'm like no or, it's or he's not. in a better place madalas mo marinig yun I know and I'm like please don't say that because not not uh, not immediately maybe like a year two years after the passing sure but not like a, a month six months after because like basically frankly the family you know the clo- the loved ones don't understand even though we all know that we all have a 100% chance of dying it doesn't matter what philosophy you come from if you love you will grieve that's the price we pay as you know we say okay i want to ask you about your writing naman no kasi you you ended your um, musical theater career uh, some years back and you decided to become a a writer, no? so that you have a writing career now, and you've written several books, and you also like quoting other writers, no? Uh, but it seems like you have an advantage over some because you have writing as a tool to process these complex emotions, no? But you quoted uh, the writer David Foster Wallace, no? Who once said, you quoted him in one of your essays, no? Yeah. He said, "Every love story is a ghost story." No, I, I found that intriguing. Of course, you 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 expand on that in your essay. But for our listeners and viewers, you know, how, how do you understand that quote? Every love story is a ghost story. Yes, because uh, of the truth that, well, one day you're going to lose the person that you love. And then you will enter into this realm of trying to figure out how to be in relationship with this person that you lost because even if you lost them physically at least in my case uh, I'm very sensitive and um, I'm like I said I'm very intuitive and it's part of my work that sometimes I do channel the dearly departed for for other people so I already have this muscle that's very strong in in sensing uh, kidlat so but even with those tools I still had to figure out how to be in relationship with with Kidlat. But it's funny because I, I don't think of him as a ghost. <laughs> I mean, I, I came across that quote because I was watching this Netflix movie right after he died. I think it's called The In-Between. And that quote came right at the beginning of that movie. So, and it, and it just jumped out at me. When you're married, your lives are so intertwined. And you don't realize how how intertwined your life is and how this person occupies so much of your universe until that person passes away. Even if I know this person is in spirit form and I can still communicate with this person, it was like, wow. 
you will have to to relearn the whole world again and and come up with your own story again of being you know being in the world yeah oh kasi kasama dun sa uh, routines mo no yung tinatawag mong morning pages where you know soon after you wake up um you kind of write uh, uh stream of consciousness no uh and that's i guess that's how you also remember a lot of your dreams because you write a lot about your dreams no uh they seem so vivid uh, unlike my dreams parang they were vivid when i was dreaming them pero paggising ko parang ano ba yung napanaginipan ko so i guess that's part of the secret no of being able to retain a lot is just writing when when things are when things are fresh no i want to ask you about another quote that you mentioned in uh, one of your essays no uh, i think this is the quote by one of your mentors no sabi niya by writing we write things meaning you write is r i g h t no so by writing my, we write things in 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 filipino sa tuwing magsusulat may tinutuwid tayo no how does writing correct things you know um the beauty of more doing morning pages or stream of consciousness writing is that it gets your thoughts out on the page well actually natalie goldberg she she calls it like getting the garbage out you get the petty whiny repetitive argumentative jealous small <laughs> ego voice out of your head and onto the page i've been doing it for for 25 years already it's it's my way of connecting with my authentic self because that petty whiny repetitive voice we think that's who we are but actually it's not it's just who we think we are and so when you put it on the page you actually kind of objectify it 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 goes out of you it's you're no longer swimming in the muck of your own thoughts and your own words and so what the magic that happens when you do that as a practice so it becomes not just a writing practice but like a spiritual practice i say spiritual because you get in touch with who you really are or you or if you don't want to use words like that you're getting in touch with your subconscious you're connecting with universe and you allow things to flow through you so for me i write every day because it's my way of connecting to my true self i get grounded on the page i can breathe on the page i calm down when i write like when i used to get really grouchy kidlat would actually tell and because you know there i was breastfeeding running the household and he was when i'd get really grouchy and he'd be like oh, i think you need to go and write <laughs> so he would like take care of the kids and like sige you go you go to starbucks or whatever to some cafe and write in your diary <laughs> so yeah i think that that uh, that's why it's such a great great practice by writing Uh, when you write things you write things so how has writing helped you deal with loss well i feel like it keeps me sane because again like i said a while ago um my writing practice uh it it just allows me to connect to to my true self my inner self i just surrender to the feelings and doing stream of consciousness writing is allowing You're not trying to to be mabango or look good for anyone. No one's going to read that diary. It's you're just doing it for you. So so doing stream of consciousness writing or morning pages is a huge act of sovereignty, of authenticity. 
Um, and so charity taught me, my my grief counselor taught me that you simply allow, there's no right or wrong way to grieve. You simply allow yourself to be. And so my writing, I would just unleash all my feelings on the page. The writing that I I sent to you or that I post on Facebook since Kidlat passed. I mean, I don't even really call that writing because my diary since the day he passed has just become one long love letter. I wasn't planning it. It just, every passage just starts with Dear Kidlat. It's like I can't stop talking to him. And so sometimes it it's coherent enough to be published, you know, but um, so yeah, I, 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 I highly encourage people who are grieving to use writing, especially if, if they're having a hard time showing their feelings, like maybe writing to just be themselves on the page. No one's going to read. If you want, if you're afraid of people to, to read it, you could even burn it after you write, but it's just good to, ah, it's, it's a, it's a huge exhale, Howie. You're not coping with the grief. You're allowing the grief. There's a big difference there. Well, you publish some of your essays in a book. Uh, last year, no, you people I've been a very personal, uh, and a lot of it is also about your feelings. Obviously, this is much more refined than probably your morning pages, no. But yet, um, they were also very personal and full of emotion. No, very. I mean, some of them, some of it is brutally honest, <laughs> very honest, no. But many of the essays were actually written. Actually, most, if not all, no, were written before Kidlat passed. Tama bayon? And yes, it's only right. like the introduction that was written after you lost him, right? That's right. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of honesty in those essays. Did you share these essays with him during that writing process after you wrote them? Did he see the contents of the book? Yes, some of them. Um, because some some of these started as uh, Facebook posts. Because I, I only started posting them, I think, in 2010. Because you know, everyone was into blogging in the early 2000s. And I'm still from the generation that tends to hide one's diary rather than publish it. So it took me a long time to have the guts to actually like put it out there. But you know, Facebook happened and then people were posting notes. So I thought, okay, so I'll post a few notes here and there. You know, I, that's when I realized that, hey, maybe what I'm writing is, you know, essay. I didn't even know what the personal essay was, honestly. So for sure, he's he's read some of it, um, some of the brutally honest stuff, which in, which involves him. Yeah, he definitely read it. Actually, there was one essay that didn't make it to the book, not because of him, but because I forgot about it. But I came across it recently in Facebook memories. And I remember he he spoke to me privately about that one. And he was he was a bit pissed off, but he felt like too exposed. But um, there, there's one essay in the book that he it was it's really long and it's it's very personal. It it, it involves uh, you know marital uh, strife and all that. And when I asked him, "Is it okay with you? Did I share too much?" And then his his response was, "I live." Okay. Well, you also wrote about your first marriage, no? And, oh yes, um, right. how 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 it ended also. You know, I when I was reading it, I felt like, oh my gosh, should I be reading this? <laughs> it was quite personal, no? Uh, I mean, most most people probably would not publish that, no? For fear of, you know, hurting someone or just 
because it's it's quite private, no? Was this also published on Facebook first and then Kidlat read it also? No, you know what? Uh, I wrote that essay uh, as a submission to enter the writing workshop of uh, Wilfredo Pascual. It ah, was a si Nueva Ecija personal essay writing workshop. And mm-hmm. um, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to get into that workshop so badly. But, um, but I also wrote that essay without any intention of showing it to the public. It was just really for the workshop. And Eugene Evasco was one of the panelists. And when I told him that, he just gave me this withering look like, Eh, mo I'm not saying this as a criticism to him. I love him so much. But lang talaga pa, parang he looked at me like, parang ano ba? But but mo papinabasa sa amin, hindi publish. So so I included it in the book. But right before printing, I almost took it out. And when I told my publisher I want to remove that essay, it's too personal. Uh, my publisher said, No, are you kidding? That's the best essay in the book. And someone who is going through the same thing, it might give them courage to to make the right decision for themselves. So when she put it that way, I realized that as, as a writer, as an artist, it's not always about you. You don't realize how your art might impact somebody's life and, or might, might even save a life, actually. At first, I was so worried that I'd be accused of navel-gazing and stuff like that, but I've gotten enough feedback on my work to know that no, the, there is a very important reason why we write personal essays, why we write about our lives. It's because we learn from one another. And also there might be a blind spot in you that you don't know about. But when you read somebody's life story or somebody's essay, it might shine a light on this thing that is uh, troubling you or, you know. So I, I feel like it's so important that we, that we write and that we read one another or have a genuine dialogue with one another. I mean, that's why we're human. That's why my philo teacher in Atene used to say, that's why you have only one mouth and two ears. <laughs> Is it really possible to move on or you let go? Now, these are cliches, but you hear, hear it a lot. Sometimes not even in the context of loss, but you know, it's like like episodes in our history, right? May mga political leaders that tell you oh, we need to move on from that, no. But, but uh, of course, um, these terms uh, probably resonate differently for you, you know. I'm just wondering what it, what would, what would that mean for you? And and then I've also heard you say rather than move on, we should move forward, you know? move forward. So any It's interesting that you brought up uh, the issue of politics. Um, because I was listening to your podcast, your interview with uh, Patricia Evangelista, and there is something that we, we need to acknowledge as a nation. You know, uh, so many of us who grew up during the martial law years, we were exposed to so much trauma. My subconscious is full of fear. People were getting salvaged. You know, people were getting dumped. Bodies were getting dumped in empty lots. You know, I grew up in a country where I couldn't trust people in uniform the fear is is planted in me and when i say things like that there's a there's like all of a sudden there's this wall that comes up and says oh maybe you shouldn't have said that i i'm constantly editing myself and i realize it's because there's so much trauma that hasn't been processed it hasn't been allowed and that's why how can we move on from that 
when when there has been no allowing, when there has been no asking of forgiveness, where there has been no true uh, redemption, true healing, no true justice, the right? mm, You're right. So yeah, yeah. I was listening to that podcast and just thinking about how, yeah, we are trying to move forward, but uh, I think I can safely say that it's like trying to to move forward with what with one leg missing and no crutch. It's like we're just one step forward, two steps back. We are stuck with this culture of impunity. We are stuck with this uh, culture that allows EJKs and all that. Is that moving forward? And things. So. But anyway, so on the personal level, um, yes, I feel that now I am moving forward with Kidlat still in my life because I'm. I did allow those feelings. I had to face all those feelings of guilt and grief and whatever. I allowed it to come out. It was very public, right? How I expressed it. Not because I want to be public, but that's just like, hello, we live in the age of social media. It's like, <laughs> it's a selfie generation, right? For me, what how I see this, when you move on, you're implying that you're na. You've left that other person behind. So that doesn't resonate with me. That's why I move forward. I know I carry that grief. I still miss him like anything. But I have now recalibrated reality for myself. I am attuned to the things that bring me joy. I, I am in relationship with the people that I love. I'm in my sole purpose. And so because I was able to allow myself to just be myself and be messy, be whatever, unattractive and just whatever, just respecting where I was in my journey now. Actually, it's amazing that you're asking me this now because it's only really literally like in the last week that I realized I feel like my grief has actually shifted. And I feel that now I have more energy. I'm taking energy from my grieving and I'm now putting it into projects that I, I love, that I'm interested in. What people don't know is it's not the first year of grief that's the hardest. It's actually the second year of grief. It's harder than the first because in the first year of grief, you're so busy. Actually, you're busy surviving. You know, just and But you're also doing a lot of things, paperwork and all this. But in the second year, when people expect you to go back into regular programming, you realize you can't because the person uh, that you used to do the regular programming with is not there. So you have to reinvent what that new normal is for you. So this year has been tough for me personally. Um, there were many months where I couldn't I, I just didn't do anything. So of course, I have to work to sustain my family and all that. But I felt like I was doing the bare minimum requirement of a decent human being. Basically, I was just in survival mode. There were many, many months, many weeks where I was just bawling my eyes out. Like every day, just feeling extremely lonely. And and so, or sometimes you get sides, you know, you're blindsided by the grief like you're just decluttering you're just wiping off the mold from your books because it's rainy season like it happened the other day like all of a sudden i found the dialogue notebook i found letters to me from kidlat and i just 
absolutely lost it. But because I have this grief counselor who said, just allow, just let it, just let it be. That's what I did. I just really let it out. But then I noticed, but I set the intention. I said, I, I prayed about it and I, I would tell God, God, you know, I, this grief is, it's, it's there. I can't do anything about it, but it's also kind of getting boring. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I'm, I'm getting bored with myself. But I wasn't judging myself. Nah, but it's there. Eh? What can I do? But you know, you're also starting to get bored. So you're like, okay. So I was asking God, please find a way for me to pull, to unplug from that programming and to pull my energy back so I can create new things. So that I can put more energy into things that, that uh, I love, that can build a richer life. So that I can have fun, right? So that's, but I wasn't consciously doing anything. I wasn't doing anything to make that happen. But last week, I noticed that I remembered Kidla and I didn't cry. When he would come into my mind, I would just send him love and I wouldn't feel, or you just feel a tiny pinch, but it's not anymore this diving down the the rabbit hole and just losing so much energy because it's exhausting when you but when you're pulled down by the grief it takes a lot of energy to pull yourself back out and try to get on with your day and do what's necessary by the day so that was the the, the biggest sign i was like oh wow iron it's not anymore this you know hagul gol it was like i i remembered him I wasn't filled with despair, basically. And I am doing more things now. I'm able to see my clients. I'm able to to engage in other activities. And hopefully, I'll also be able to finish my new memoir. So, so yeah, good things. So, Christmas season, no? any family rituals? And are you planning anything that will include remembering Kidlat? You know, it's really funny because a lot of people think that it's the big holidays that get us who are grieving. <laughs> but actually, it's not. It's it's the everyday stuff. It's the everyday stuff, like um, going to the grocery, especially in the first two years of, of loss. I do practices with my kids so that we can enjoy the holidays together. But... We remember Kidlat every day. And in little things, it doesn't even have to be a big to-do. Like, it's more like, oh, if Tati were... that My kids call him Tati. Oh, if Tati were here, what would he say? Oh, if Tati were here, he would have gotten such a big bite out of that sandwich. Like, Kalino is really into telling jokes and riddles now. So sometimes I'll be like, oh, wow, Tati would have liked that one. So, it, you know, it's like remembering him in the little things or doing things like making his favorite tomato pasta because that was his specialty to make roasted tomato pasta sauce or or like when we were on holiday i was taking lots of pictures of graffiti because that's what kidlet used to do and so i do it consciously like i do it with him in my heart now i know you like this so i'm gonna do it with you for you remembering you as i do it so what would you like others to remember about Kidlat. He used to call himself a little radio transmitter for God's love. You know, so I knowing Kidlat witnessing his passing and all, 
experiencing that. He taught me that it's not about accomplishments. It was so many of us are so into achieving, accomplishing. I should talk about myself. I'm so driven. I thought that's what was important, you know, leaving a legacy, this and that. But with Kidlat, I realized like, wow, he really had the right idea. He was so much about being a channel for love for others. He was the professional friend. He would help so many people just by listening to them and giving them advice. Or I remember once he he had a shoot in Basilan for Balay Mindanao. And and he also flew to Zamboanga for for that project. And he told me, you know, I know I'm going in my capacity as a filmmaker, but I also know that I'm like a little radio transmitter for love and peace. So even if he's being um, a filmmaker and he's interviewing someone or he's telling someone where to put the camera, he's so aware that he is a channel for, for peace in that area to those people in that area. So when he passed, I was so humbled. I was so humbled, Howie. But what a big soul lesson this guy gave. And But I also don't want to, I mean, what, what was it? Padma once said, I don't want to romanticize the dead. You know, One thing I'm grateful for, I'm, even though my kids are still so young, they were so young when they lost him, but, but old enough to have experienced so much laughter with Kid Lat, he was just the funniest guy. His role uh, in 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 you assign chores to one another in in a marriage, and one of his chores was to read the bedtime story to them. and And me, I would read it straight. Yung parang you know, I would really follow the book, whatever was written there. But Kid Lat would play with you're, it. And you're the actress. I know. I mean, I could do like character voices and all, but Kid Lat was like sometimes he'd read the book backward. Or sometimes he'd change the story and then the kids would be like, Daddy, that's not the story. But they'd be laughing, you know? So so they remember that. I mean, I, I'm, I, I used to say to people now, he's the married to my Martha. He's the married, you're Martha. Oh. He's the one who got the idea. Now, it's not about the, the chores. It's not about getting things all squared away. It's about being present to one another or... Like one of the things I loved seeing him do was when we're at the beach and he just goes into the water and he floats like completely surrendered. He just floats above the water and just completely enjoying that moment. And that's a huge thing that I'll remember about Kidlat that he he really knew how to enjoy life. He knew how to enjoy the moment and he had the right idea about enjoying his time with people, really being present for others. Beautiful memories, uh, Lisa. It, it's actually a great way to end this conversation. So we want to thank you for sharing so eloquently and for being so open about your journey with us now and, and for so many of your readers. So, maraming salamat, uh, Lisa Romero de Guia. Mabuhay ka. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening, Podmates. Download this episode so you can listen to it anytime, anywhere. Stay safe, Podmates. <laughs>